Welcome back to Film Fanatics, where we talk about the movies that have us obsessed, excited, and inspired. I'm Gal. And I'm Alan, and today we have an episode that we've been waiting years to record. The Barbenheimer episode is finally here to celebrate the, the greatest event in cinema history. I don't know if that's quite true. <laughs> we'll also discuss some Secret Invasion spoilers, but first, let's start with our classic new segment, The Trades. Are you ready to get into our Barbieheimer discussion episode, Miguel? Yeah, so let's talk a bit about Barbenheimer. Um, this is a wild trend. I mean, this has been going on for a while because um, Oppenheimer and Barbie have been slated to be on the release date. And the world was just like, yo, double feature. Like, um, since Warner Brothers and Christopher Nolan are now two different entities, they can come out on the same day. Uh, rumor has it that Warner Brothers wanted to spite Nolan. I don't know how accurate that is, because uh, yeah, I think that's pretty accurate. Because it's <laughs> like there's a lot of uh, a lot of it going around. I don't think it would be, yeah. But basically, these two movies are polar opposites. One's a three-hour nuclear war history movie. The other's a Barbie movie, and I feel like also you got like two directors who are so acclaimed right now. I mean, Christopher Nolan and Greta Gerwig, and they're both doing things that are like exciting and have potential to like define them as filmmakers. So I think like even so this sort of idea uh, come goes back to Dark Knight and Mamma Mia coming out on the same day in 2008. But this is an even wilder double feature. Like, I feel like this is just, like, the perfect... So, like, it's weird that it's, like, kind of, like, the opposite of what, what happened in uh in 2008. Because uh, the more, like, woman-oriented... I don't like using that, because, like... <laughs> no, but I get what you mean. The more, uh, like, movie uh, female-led. The more, like, uh, not artsy, but more, like... I don't know, like, uh, the less popcorn-y movie, I guess when compared to like dark knight that was the big blockbuster right right and now less of have, a think piece have, i guess and now you have the opposite situation where barbie is like the big blockbuster and oppenheimer is like quote unquote like the more i guess it is the more artsy movie in a way uh like the more cinema movie when it comes to like oscars and shit like that i i love all four movies by the way <laughs> and that and that concede at least but uh yeah i would say that this crazy thing that happened is more than like just the cinema of it all it's like more of how social media has changed uh like society in general i guess because this blew up on social media pr of companies and all that warner brothers spent like 50 billion dollars in the barbie um, and like campaign. Tom Cruise talking about it. Exactly. I, everyone was excited about it. Um, and having seen both, they make for a pretty good double feature, actually, weirdly enough. Uh, watching like a three hour 
fucking depressing drama epic and then moving on to like uh candy colored like like two hour comedy as like a palate cleanser is like honestly great i watched both of them the same day so uh so yeah no no complaints for me in that department and go go ahead i think also they like really boosted each other's box office i think barbie would have been a hit anyway but oppenheimer like you get the highest opening ever for a non-batman nolan film it's already made more than dial of destiny it's and it's been out for a week like yeah. i would never have yeah. guessed that that like oppenheimer makes more than flash indiana jones uh dungeons and drag like all these movies after one week and it's great to like i work at a movie theater so it's nice to see like two movies like that that are bringing so many people to the theaters like and now barbie could even make top gun levels of money so yeah i really hope it beats mario because i did not like mario i still haven't watched it uh but uh barbie actually had like the second best opening weekend of uh, of this year which was almost above the expectations uh, from the industry um and now we're recording is this on a, the next monday and after the second weekend and it just made like one of the best second weekends ever i think the six best uh second weekend of all time so i don't think i think i think you might be wrong on the fact that like it would probably have been a hit but it wouldn't be have been as big a hit if oppenheimer didn't come out at the same time like i think it helped it helped they attract helped the, they helped, they helped the film other. bros i think they helped each other a lot it wasn't like only one way from uh, barbie to oppenheimer but like because i remember when we were in oppenheimer there were like like they looked our age like women our age sitting behind us and being like okay great now barbie so it's like they definitely helped each other also yeah. talk about barbie's opening for um for a female directed film and it's not even close that's just great to see too yeah and i'm glad uh, uh greta gerwig is the one that got that i will say i am kind of i, I hope that that doesn't happen her next movies are supposed to be for netflix and I kind of hate that. I wanted to go. Yeah. So I kind of hoped that like she's right now. She has the title for biggest box office for a woman director. And I want her to keep going in that direction with like big ass blockbusters at the movie theater. So, yeah, I'm kind of upset that that's her next project. That um, that we're not seeing like a theatrical studio give a female director like that more creative freedom but yeah. maybe maybe they just have the narnia property and she's interested yeah so i think uh, i think barbie would will easily clear uh, a billion dollars it's already like more than 700 in like two weeks uh, maybe no, even 1.5 and um it, i think it i think it's gonna be the biggest movie of this year uh and oppenheimer is probably gonna be like the biggest like <laughs> oscar movie of this year i guess uh it's probably gonna clear like 700 million ish i think yeah at least 600 million we're gonna see it past dunkirk uh we're gonna see it probably get around those levels of interstellar like 700 million maybe not inception but you never know i think i think the only thing that's stopping it is maybe the r rating but i also think most of the target audience is like i don't know like we had joker make a billion so maybe yeah, but, our rating doesn't yeah. really and stop also, people it anymore did make uh something like 40 million in the second weekend which is crazy like 46 million 
which is actually the that was the projection for the first weekend and it made that in the second weekend which is crazy um so i wouldn't count it out i think like even it could maybe like in a perfect world it would like lag up to like barely making a billion but i don't think it's gonna happen i don't i don't think it's out of the question though also like in january february they could do re-releases and it'll pass the finish line i don't think it's out of the question but it's like yeah best case scenario yeah but i also think that a big problem that you have when you compare to barbie is like the rewatchability of Oppenheimer when compared to barbie is like probably way lower right like um the chances of you rewatching like a cotton candy like comedy for two hours is a lot higher than of you rewatching a historical drama about a physicist. So I think also, yeah, so I yeah. do always say though that in terms of like, um, like A list actors, A list directors, like just the names that can bring in uh, audiences alone, I think the only directors that are still like guaranteed sales at the box office are nolan tarantino and jordan peele like they're the only ones who will like for sure bring people to the box office so i think nolan has this fan base that no matter what he makes yeah. like unless he's making paint dry probably like people will come because buy, of him I probably still buy it. yeah i think we've talked about this before but he is my favorite director um he is mine too fantastic so uh let's actually get into our reviews now uh and let's start with the openest of heimers the movie about j robert oppenheimer uh which is definitely why this movie is so big no i'm joking that's not really at all <laughs> but uh tell us a little bit more about oppenheimer so oppenheimer is i think the 12th film from christopher nolan it's got killian murphy in the titular role and as of now they've had six movies together which is great to see and also, I won't talk about everyone who's in the movie, but we got Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., and Florence Pugh, uh, alongside a million other actors. Let's just talk about that. And it starts with J. Robert Oppenheimer being recruited into the Manhattan Project, which was one of the most top secret and important um, sort of teams uh, behind the scenes of what had happened in World War II and their efforts to build the atom bomb in order to uh, make the japanese and nazis surrender yeah uh let's start talking about like nolan's directing and writing here uh he adapted of course this screenplay from a book uh but other than that it's pretty much his vision um i think i think he did a great job like usually it's very complex to understand nolan's like time even in a movie that is supposed to be dramatization of reality, where you'll be okay, so I guess you do have a time that you can follow. He doesn't do that. <laughs> um, and I didn't understand exactly until, uh, um, I don't remember if it was him that confirmed this, but like, basically the black and white scenes are scenes that are not from Oppenheimer's point of view. And the colored scenes are scenes that are from Oppenheimer's point of view. That's that's like the the difference and that's that's genius because uh there's also a lot of scenes in black and white that oppenheimer's not even there not a lot but some uh and all the colored scenes oppenheimer's always there uh so i did appreciate that he didn't do like crazy like different tones for different time periods it was only that that apparently was the only rule 
and it came off great. Like I feel like it was a lot easier to understand than a lot of this, uh, a lot of his movies, probably because of the subject matter. Uh, matter that it's like something that actually happened and not a crazy sci-fi dream. Um, but yeah, I I can't complain about this man's directing. He's perfect. Well, that's so much to take it. Wow, that's interesting. Because. Yeah, well, that's, I didn't even think of that until now, and now it puts a lot of things into perspective. I love that because also a lot of the like the nuke scenes, like not nuke scenes, like the science scenes, are like in his imagination. Like you see these sparks and these fire, which are some of the best moments of the movie. And so, like, so like, they're in color because it's his in his mind. Yeah. And when I think of his directing in this movie, I just think of those three plus hour epics like Lawrence of Arabia where you're like covering this massive scale and like this incredible moment in history, like incredible as in it's so big to take in yeah. and the way he's even framing like the ranches or like the lights going up during the test or even just like like these building blocks that he has in his offices, everything is framed uh, yeah. so beautifully. And you can really feel that like the power of mankind is resting on this mission and they're about to like bend almost bend earth and reality and possibly unleash the beast with this. Uh, so I loved his writing as well. I, I thought also just like, I thought also a lot of people complain about Nolan's writing sometimes or even his dialogue. And I thought he just nailed the writing here, the pace of it, yeah. uh, the way he explains it, the sophistication of it. I, um, I think it's an excellent script. Yeah. I think, the testament of that is that it's a three-hour movie, and at least for me, I didn't feel it at all. Like, I felt it was three hours, but it was, like, a l not a light three hours, but you know what I mean. Like, I, I didn't I didn't feel like uh, like it was, like, one of those heavy three-hour movies, if that makes sense, because of the pacing, because of uh, his writing. Um, so, yeah, Nolan, 10 out of 10, always. But uh, I want to talk about Killian uh, Murphy's chances here i think he's a real shot of winning the oscar this year just because i think a lot of things are also going to get canceled <laughs> or moved to next year but um so you gotta factor that in but even if you didn't factor that in he just delivered in my opinion the best performance of his career and um so far probably the best performance of the year yeah, I don't know if you've watched Peaky Blinders. I haven't yet. I've but, watched um, about two seasons of Peaky Blinders, and he's great. Yeah. He's great. Okay, awesome. But for me, like, it was this is incredible transformation from him. Again, I've only seen him in movies like, uh, like Inception, and of course, like The Scarecrow and uh, Quiet Place Part Two, and so on. But like, just the way he acts with his eyes in this movie is so incredible. Uh, or like his voice, his facial movements. I loved his performance, and I remember before he was cast, when you heard Nolan doing Oppenheimer movie, everyone was like, cast Killian Murphy. So I love that it wasn't just like, oh, he looks like him, but he's just, he was perfect. So I'm so grateful for their career and their collaborations together that gave us this performance eventually. Yeah. And I think likely he's going to get nominated for Best Actor, especially because... I think 100%, no. This is... I'd say so, especially because... This is considered right now critically one of Nolan's most acclaimed movies. And so far, only one performance from any Nolan movie has been Oscar nominated, which is Heath Ledger for The Dark Knight. And he won. But he won. Uh, Yeah, and he won. 
uh, but no one else has been nominated. So I think this being a historical movie, him being a historical figure, very transformative, that's going to help it. In terms of winning, I mean, there's a shot there. Like, it's it's definitely there. I It's July, so it's really early to predict. Yeah. Yeah. The other ones on the radar, I'd say, are Coleman Domingo in Rustin and Bradley Cooper in Maestro, which could be a career award because he's been nominated nine times before. Yeah. And they're both Netflix movies, so I don't know what Netflix wants to do in terms of they're releasing the rest of the movies this year. Like, they're a streaming giant. They care only about views. Yeah, so I don't think maybe they want to... I don't think they're going to move, honestly, the Netflix stuff uh, and, and the Apple TV stuff either. So I think, like, uh, yeah, those movies are safe, I think. But I think it's really like, incredibly likely he'll get nominated and he'll be one of the most talked about front runners until it's yeah. clear yeah. who's getting the awards at you the wonder, ceremonies. You said that Nolan only got one actor so far. This year, he's for sure getting two, in my humble opinion. Because I think Mr. Robert Downey Jr. is getting in for supporting actor. And again, I know it's early on. I know it's very early. And with Killian, I 100% can't see him like maybe not winning uh, so far. But I gotta say, I think RDJ ch RDJ's chances are, are good. Like, this was a career-defining role for him, in my opinion. Ooh, this is the best big statement best. there from the man who played Iron Man. This is the best I've seen of him. And I totally transformative, completely different person. And um, I didn't see Iron Man. I didn't see RDJ. I saw that dude that yeah, I forgot. Louis, that I Louis Strauss. <laughs> Louis Strauss. <laughs> Strauss. He says Strauss, not Strauss. Okay, so I saw him 100% of the time, not for a millisecond did I not think that that performance was incredible. So, yeah, uh, hot take. I think he's winning the, the Oscar this year. <laughs> I think he was excellent. I'd love to see him nominated, and you're not the only person saying that. So I think if, if Universal sees the same potential that the fans do, the nomination will happen. But again, I don't know who else. Again, I don't want to no, say I win. I don't think... I know, I yeah, know it's still I don't July. Think, I know, but I, know. I think yeah. these two nominations are locked. But I don't think he's like J.K. Simmons in Whiplash, where you watch it and he's like, he's winning no matter the competition. But I think he's like he's very, very likely to get yeah. nominated, yeah. especially because he's had a great career journey um, since like, he's been nominated for Chaplin and Tropic Thunder before, which love him in Tropic Thunder. But I think this will also stand out for Academy voters and especially Robert Downey Jr. being so respected. And yeah. this like being like one of his first biggest roles post Iron Man period for him. Yeah, uh, for sure. So I also want to touch on the beautiful score that I've been listening to by uh, Ludwig Göransson. He of course won Oscars before for uh, his uh, his scores, so not not news that it's fantastic. But yeah, it's it's great. Um, do you have anything to touch on that? <laughs> I just love this guy. He is like. He sort of came in and became like he's one of the next big ones. Like yeah, he has the potential Shakino to become up there with Hans like Zimmer. The two big ones right now, I feel like of the modern age of cinema. Who'd you say? Him and Justin Hurwitz? No, him and, said? him and Giacchino. Oh, well, Giacchino's a lot older, but yeah. Um, I and I guess I think he's was, yeah. Yeah. I, I think he's gonna get up there. No, I, I was generally just asking like what you said because I didn't hear. But, no, but um, you were right. <laughs> yeah, but Gorenson like. He's 
he basically came into Hollywood with his collaborations with Ryan Cooler, which got him both of his nominations and his win. Um, I think like if he doesn't get nominated at least for this score, I I think they're insane. This is an incredible score. It's beautiful. It's booming. Like, like it's at the level of like Hans Zimmer's score for Inception, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Um, and he didn't even get nominated for Tenet, which is sad because I love that score. Uh, but he won for Black Panther and was nominated for Wakanda Forever. Nice. So, uh, you know, they love him. Like, yeah, for sure. that's not a problem. Uh, and I guess to sort of like end our uh, Oppenheimer discussion, uh, let's talk just a little bit about uh, the cinematography by Hoyte van, van Hoytem. I hate saying his name. I love the guy, but I hate saying his name. Um, and just the use of practical effects and lighting in that cinematography compared to using CGI, like we've talked about before, that like Nolan used zero CGI shots on a movie about the atomic bomb, and I think that's incredible. You really feel how real uh, everything is. Uh, if you ever wanted to like win the argument against CGI, just show people this movie. Um, there's still a lot that you can do with practical effects if you just put in the time. Not to mention we just had Dead Reckoning. Yeah. Where Tom Cruise basically did the biggest stunt of all time. Time practically. I just think it's it's beautiful how Nolan brought this to life. Like you you don't feel the illusion there. You feel like you're immersed in the history. You feel like you're immersed in the scale. Um it just it's like an adventure almost. Yeah. Um And you know what? It cost a hundred million dollars. This movie costs less than Indiana Jones, like a third of Indiana Jones. Uh Mission Impossible. All of these big movies that just came out cost way less than Ant-Man and it looks 500 million times better. So like that's the proof that when you put the care in, you don't need to put that much money. You don't need that much CGI. You just need people that care and that are good at what they do. <laughs> and, to, and to not rush people, you need the time. The time. Mm -hmm. That's For sure. That's also, you talked about um, Oppenheimer's perspective. So, you know, when you hear about an Oppenheimer movie, you're like, okay, at the end, are they going to, are we going to see the bombing of Hiroshima or something? We actually see it from Oppenheimer's perspective, which is just learning about it through the radio and feeling like the psychological ramifications. Yeah. So what no one actually chose to do is to have the middle of the movie be this big, like loud moment, which is the Trinity test and what he does with the sound, with the visuals. I just yeah. think it's... It's like everything that he's been working towards uh, in his filmography. And then Hoyt Van Hoytema, this guy is like a Hollywood beast, in my opinion. I feel like he I've is, always been sort of vouching for him. And he he shot also Interstellar, Dunkirk, Tenet, uh, Spectre, Her, Ad Astra, Nope. I just think he's always been impressing me uh, and is one of my favorite cinematographers. So I think he has potential to finally win an Oscar here, honestly. I, I yep. hope. I hope so too, man. They love black and white movies and at the Oscars. So. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's true too. <laughs> so here, here's to and movies set during war, because like Dunkirk, nineteen no, nineteen seventeen, All Quiet on the Western yeah. Front won this award. Speaking of, and this, I think we can end our Oppenheimer discussion with this point because I think that's one of the reasons maybe that Oppenheimer got made. What are Nolan's chances at a Best Director Oscar? It's looking good. 
I would say. Um, I agree. He's I agree. I, he's been nominated at least five times. I'm not sure the exact number, but he's one of those where he's a current director. He's very beloved, like him, Fincher, the Wes and Paul Thomas Anderson, etc., who they're incredibly beloved, but they're always on everyone's list of have never won an Oscar. Yeah, and with Christopher yeah. Nolan, with the entire industry showing up for him uh, to act in this movie, with everyone praising him. Uh, and it finally being a movie that can appeal to audiences with it being a historical talkie movie. I don't know if it'll win Best Picture, but I do think Nolan will be one of the frontrunners in the conversation for Best Director. Even though it does seem like uh, with directing, they're going a lot for like the message and thematically lately. Like, um, not saying they didn't deserve it, but like, like they didn't care to award Steven Spielberg again or so on. But I do think Nolan has the narrative and he would more than deserve it. Yeah, I feel like he only got nominated um, as a director only once. Oh yeah, it was in 2017 for uh, Dunkirk. So that I, that was his only uh, directing nod. And then uh, he was also nominated for writing Memento and Inception. Yeah, his uh, and also he got, of course, a Best Picture nom, also for Dunkirk. Uh, so those are his and for inception too i think yeah uh, so yeah i was right it's five it's original okay. screenplay for Incep for memento picture and original screenplay for inception and picture and director for dunkirk exactly um so yeah i think i think it's his time honestly i think they have to give it to him uh his body of work speaks for itself uh i know i'm probably biased as fuck but like he has three movies in my top 15 in my top 15 movies of all time and he's the only director that has that um and maybe who knows maybe Oppenheimer will get on that uh so because so, for me also, it's, it's one it, of those for me it's his it's fourth best the, movie by the way so it's like it's it's definitely top five top for me my, my um, ranking of his changes a lot but it's top five for sure also if he loses like what will it take for him like he's been giving everything for this industry like especially his whole like dedication to the cinematic experience and yeah. shooting on film i think also connects to like preserving creativity and fighting for creators to be recognized this year i think it could really fit with the narrative too i agree okay so scores for Oppenheimer. i think this is an easy one 10 out of 10 for me your you go also 10 out of 10 fantastic so great um let's talk about the other behemoth the actually bigger behemoth that came out the same weekend barbie part of barbenheimer uh directed by greta gerwig tell us a little bit more about that yeah so greta gerwig wrote and directed it and she wrote it with noah Baumbach, who is her real life partner and they've of course worked on other movies together like francis haw and white noise and you got Margot Robbie's stereotypical Barbie, Ryan Gosling is stereotypical Ken. In addition, you got no, no, America no. Ferreira. Beach Ken. Beach Ken, okay. Then you also got America Ferreira, Kate McKinnon, Michael Sarah, Issa Rae, Simu Liu, uh, Will Ferrell, Kingsley Benadir, um, Dua Lipa's in this movie, Emerald Fennell, uh, a lot of great people. Yeah. That's all I'll say. Let's. Let's start the discussion with uh, with the partner combo of uh, Gerwig and Bumbach. Like you said, they worked together before. They're partners in real life. And I think they wrote probably the funniest probably script, the funniest of, the script year. of the year. 
It's funny as hell. Oh, it's I, that's my opinion, but I want to hear hell. what you think. I need to think because what were like the best comedies that came out this year? I think this is like up there, but it's just funny as hell. Because listen, when you announced a Barbie movie, like a Warner Brothers movie about a real life Barbie, this had potential to be an atrocity. I was, I was like it had potential movie. to be like a cat's emoji movie level atrocity. Then yeah. Greta Gerwig came on. And everyone was hyped as hell. Yeah. And that's, that's, this, that was, that's what made it for me, for sure. Like, before that, uh, when it was also going to be with Amy Schumer, I was like, oh, that oh, is God, not, no. what not what we I want. We dodged a bullet. Jeez. Uh, so, yeah. So, when Greta got on and uh, Robbie got on. Uh, Robbie got on first because she's also produced. Like, 2023 ranked list. I think this is the funniest movie of the year so far. Yeah. Um, for me as well. And... Um, so yeah, like uh, when Robbie got on as a producer, and then Greta got on with Noah, I think that movie just elevated to an insane amount. Yeah, I mean, also I feel like this movie like leans into some of the stuff that you would expect from a Barbie movie. Like there's just people saying like "Hi, Barbie" or like them doing like silly flips, like stuff that you would that you would maybe picture if you imagined a real life Barbie land, but there's this cheekiness to it. Like whenever they say stuff that maybe is not supposed to be like dug under the surface, there is something like, for example, in the trailer, there's like her going, did you bring your rollerblades? And Ken going, I literally go nowhere without them. And I don't know. It's just like something about the delivery of all these like silly lines. This immediately makes Barbie and Barbie land like this lovable place. Uh, even like the Lizzo song, like all of it just worked for me. Yeah, I've been hearing that. I've been listening to that soundtrack non-stop. Like, I'm at the gym blasting I'm Just Ken daily. Daily. Um, go ahead. Thanks to the male experience. I'm just Ken and I'm enough. And I'm great at doing stuff. So, hey, check me out. I'm just Ken. My name's Ken and so am I. Put that manly hand in mine. How godly are those lyrics? Is indeed enough. Um, I think they say that in the song as well. Uh, but um, but yeah, incredible soundtrack. Um, uh, like the Dua Lipa song is also so fun. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about uh, Robbie first. Like she, like I said, she produced the movie. I just actually watched an interview where she said that she didn't really cast herself. Like, she was kind of going to, but, like, when Greta got on after her, she asked Greta if she would be the best person to play Barbie as well. Like, she she left that on Greta's hand, and Greta wrote the character for her, right? She was like, yeah, it's you, and I'm writing it for you. For you. So that Even was though a, there's a joke in the movie about Margot Robbie's casting. Exactly. I think that's uh, that's the that's it was written around. Um, so yeah, uh, she was a great producer for putting this together. She's the probably the best stereotypical Barbie that we could have gotten without it being like cheesy or weird or uh, over sexualized or something. Like, yeah. Even like Anne Hathaway was at one point supposed to be cast, and I don't oh, think it would have even been as natural as Definitely what Margot not. Robbie gave us. Definitely not. Um, and yeah, let's talk about, uh, the elephant in the room, 
Mr. <laughs> Mr. Ryan Gosling. That's his job, by the way. His job is beach. That's what he says. Like, not lifeguard, just his beach. And it works for the movie. Like, it's so dumb, but it works. But I will say, it was pretty predictable that he was going to steal the show, but he steals the show in a way. I won't let you do just one appendectomy. But I'm a man. But not a doctor. Can I talk to a doctor? You are talking to a doctor. Can I need a clicky pen? No. A sharp thing? No. There he is. Doctor! Somebody get security. That is got gun people talking about Oscar chances for best supporting actor. I am not joking. This is around Variety, Hollywood Reporter, all of that. Um, There's a serious uh, passion behind Barbie getting in for best picture now. I I wouldn't be mad at that, and I wouldn't be mad at him being up for supporting actor. I'm not sure if he should win over RDJ, but uh, but yeah, he sh I think he should be up there, honestly, just because like he took a role that I think I think this role only works because it's him. I don't think maybe it's a hot take, but I don't think any other actor would have done as well with uh, with this role. And um, again, he steals the movie. Uh, even when he's an asshole, he's perfect at being an asshole. Uh, I really want to get like a like a like what is it like a, a little mat outside my door that says "Welcome to my Dojo Mojo Casa House." I really want to do that. That's like my goal right now. <laughs> uh, What's that? There was a meme about that where it was like instead of Grand Budapest Hotel or something, it was like true. Grand Mojo Dojo. I I just think. I was so much more imp not that Bar that Margot Robbie did anything wrong, but I was so impressed by Ryan Gosling. Not that he's already one of my favorite actors, period. But just seeing him flex was incredible. Just seeing him like do like like all his comedic and singing talents. He's dove in into so much dramatic roles lately. But to show him do it without any sort of ego or anything like the character has ego but he's just doing it with this so much love for what he's doing like when he's singing and whatnot he's just incredible at what he does and you know we've seen him sing in la la land we've seen him be like super silly and misogynistic and crazy stupid love but it's still i would watch it forever yeah he probably is one of my best one of my favorite actors right now for sure like you said you just listed two of my favorite films um, probably one of my favorite com uh, rom-coms and definitely my favorite musical. So, and he's in both and he's incredible in both and he's incredible here. Again, stole the show and yeah, I could see the, that weird uh, nom happening. I wouldn't be mad at it. I just don't want people to be upset if it doesn't happen because it's very much like... Oh, people are going to be. Uh, but... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I think who else stood out in the cast the, for you? The, no, but just just a final point of in his character, he has he has such an insane like um like journey in this movie about discovering the patriarchy and trying to install it in Barbie Land. It's like the craziest premise, the craziest fucking premise, and he and he sells it and like he's incredibly funny and weirdly relatable for playing a doll and um you feel everything that he feels like he like the guy absolutely like just, just i think he, he keeps falling back into that category of playing sigma males so we shouldn't have been fooled here yeah 
uh, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, like you said, the other cast members. Uh, I think the highlight for the other people in this movie for me were two weird by weird Barbie played uh, by Kate McKinnon and Alan played by Michael. I Sarah knew you were going to say brilliantly. That. brilliantly. Uh, I saw he, you on letterbox saying as an Alan, this is hard to watch. That was a bit of a joke because like mostly everything he did, I probably would have done the same. And my friends were watching with me and every time that he said anything or did anything, they would turn to me, laugh and say, you would do that. Or you would say that. Um, so yeah, he's definitely in my my spirit animal in that way. But um, also, there's a joke about like Alan's being in the real world. That was one of my favorite jokes in the whole movie. Yeah, and uh, just the up like I fe- I heard uh, I don't I'm sorry I don't remember who said it, but I uh, a reviewer say that like people say that this movie re- not people stupid people say that this movie like misrepresents men and says that all men that all men are bad and all that no like uh the whole thing is that like alan is the only like free doll because he's not a wow. cat he's like unique. that's a good point he's like unique he's like uh it's only alan but like it's yeah that's the take that like because he's the only free one that doesn't have to conform to being a cat dude why am i like why are we talking like so in depth about the themes of a barbie movie why is this movie so much fun like so basically it's what every man could be if they like got away from like this the expectations of being a man and all that which in the case of the movies the expectations of being a can so uh um, congratulations alan you're the you're the ideal man <laughs> uh, so, uh, but i do not, think not to toot my own horn uh but um, i don't think the movie really yeah. like antagonizes men like it, it antagonizes so like so systems based on patriarchal like like structures but I, I think the main idea is that men and women can be awesome you don't need each other's approval you just need to focus on your own identity and self-discovery you know like romance is great but it shouldn't be like like the whole movie is criticizing uh needing to appease men or dress for them or etc or needing to look hot or play a song or be dominant over a woman that's the whole yeah. theme of the movie and i don't think it was Personally, as a man, I didn't feel it was biased towards anyone. No, but to be fair, we we're we're definitely not the men that are saying that shit. <laughs> but yeah, like I, that that was the analysis that basically, like, yeah, that's he he's what men should be. So I'm excited that people think I'm him. He was he was my favorite character, by the way. Again, do with that what you do with that what you will with how I think of myself. But he was my favorite character. <laughs> was great i loved him also um say america ferreira i think was a great part of it her character was kind of the heart of the movie and i think her storyline is also why i think this would be a terrific watch for like moms and daughters and just like all basically any i think i think this movie is good for everyone but like especially like women seeing themselves in this movie and then i just loved simu liu he is having so much fun with this movie and he's like the perfect Ken. He's credited as tourist Ken, but I just uh, he was a great Ken. Um, but all the... he's like the arch uh, nemesis of the main Ken. Yeah, uh, played by. Uh, but Ryan he's Simu Liu, so it's so like fun. so likable. Also, um, and when he said that the Barbie script was the best thing he ever read, we all laughed. But it's a pretty freaking great script. 
And I feel like after reading the script, why would you not want to be a part of this movie after you read the script? Like, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Even John Cena signed up for this. Yeah, um, I will say my favorite random person that was there that I didn't know was there until I was in the theater was Scott Evans. He's so funny. He doesn't have that many lines, but he's so, so funny. An extra, but he's like, oh, like he's just, he's, he understood the assignment. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Kings of Benadir is great. Uh, and Kutigatwa is also great. Yeah. Like, uh, is a Ray. Uh, yeah. Fantastic cast. Everything in the Barbie world, like this movie asks you to suspend disbelief so much and like not question whatever's going on. Like there are no rules of logic in this movie. Like she just floats. Like they explain it somewhat that it corresponds to dolls being played with, but you do have to suspend disbelief. Yeah. Yeah. But it being I a think Barbie it movie, works like works in that sense. Cause like, yeah, it totally works. Like there's, yeah. it's just the kind of tone and the kind of movie where, yeah, they're dancing at a dance party with all this, like completely synchronized dance choreography and everyone just understands the choreography you can hop in and do exactly what everyone else is doing but you're just in for the ride yeah like i don't know how to explain it. like i didn't care that you like there's no explanation for how exactly barbie land works it's just all like, great like people use the word magical realism for when they're when they go to the real world because it's supposed to be the real world but then you're going to mattel and it's just like the most cartoonish thing ever um so yeah, like I think that works perfectly here, like magical realism of like them running around and like chasing her and all that, trying to put her back in the box. Um, Interesting. And I also just think like, thing by itself, yeah. I also think this movie is going to draw a lot of comparisons to the Lego movie because both are about toys who correspond with being played with in the real world. Will Ferrell plays a guy about who's all about business in the Lego movie. He's literally president in business. I, I think it's going to draw a lot of comparisons. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and they're both great movies, so why not? Uh, okay, so let's finish it out. What, what grade would you give Barbie? Right now, I'd give it an 8. Um, really? But it's the kind of movie where when I think about it, when I think about what's in this movie, it makes me smile. I'd happily rewatch it, and it's it's weird that I'd be like, yeah, like I want to rewatch this with my friends one day. It's it's a really fun movie. I'm sorry. Like, really why is this one of the most exciting movies so far? Uh, I'm definitely going to rewatch with, uh, my, with my two best friends when it comes out on digital. Uh, yeah, it's a 9 out of 10 for me. Uh, it's currently my third favorite movie of the year. Uh, I, yeah, I had a freaking blast watching this movie. I missed watching a good comedy. I think uh, it's, like, fun. I think it's, like probably on like bottom of my top 10 of the year so far but it's one of the most fun like if i see myself rewatching, for me you know how i do my top 10s and stuff like it's basically enjoyment level that's totally it's yeah. still like my favorite comedy of the year i think you know what you said about the awards buzz i hope it at least gets a little more talk i think costume design and production design yeah. especially with all the behind the scenes talk in the news it's a lock to get nominated that's awesome yeah like we were Speaking discussing of, with nolan almost no cgi most mostly all practical all those sets were real real so speaking of costume designers i'll say one thing to close out our discussion um 91 year old costume designer ann roth who is a two-time oscar winner most recently for ma rainey's black bottom has a beautiful scene on a bench with margot robbie's barbie oh, which i thought was a lovely moment i kind of thought that i kind of thought that that was the uh, 
the inventor of Barbie's daughter. <laughs> oh, I wonder if they're alive. Uh, probably, but. Okay, so uh, yeah, let's. That was our discussion on Barbenheimer. Make sure to subscribe to our channel. Leave your comments down below of what you thought of Barbenheimer, Barbie, Oppenheimer. Which one you prefer? Which one was uh, more fun for you? Did you do the the double screen? Uh, let us know. Yeah, tell uh, us about your experience. Tell us about your crowd. How far in between you saw? Which ones you liked more? What do you yeah, think the awards uh, chances like, are? Like. Very important. Very important. Yeah, that uh, is important. Uh, are you ready to get into our Barbieheimer discussion episode, y'all? Yeah, so let's talk a bit about Barbenheimer. Um, this is a wild trend. I mean, this has been going on for a while because um, Oppenheimer and Barbie have been slated to be on the release date. And the world was just like, yo, a double feature. Like, um, since Warner Brothers and Christopher Nolan are now two different entities, they can come out on the same day. Uh, rumor has it that Warner Brothers wanted to spite Nolan. I don't know how accurate that is. Cause... Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty accurate because it's <laughs> like there's a lot of uh, a lot of it going around i don't think it would be yeah but basically these two movies are polar opposites one's a three-hour nuclear war history movie the other's a barbie movie and i feel like also you got like two directors who are so acclaimed right now i mean christopher nolan and greta gerwig and they're both doing things that are like exciting and have potential to like define them as filmmakers so i think like even so this sort of idea uh come goes back to dark knight and mamma mia coming out on the same day in 2008 but this is an even wilder double feature like i feel like this is just like the perfect so like it's weird that it's like kind of like the opposite of what, what happened in uh in 2008 because uh the more like woman oriented i don't like using that because like <laughs> no but i get what you mean the more uh, like movie female was the more like uh not artsy but more like i don't know like uh, the less popcorny movie i guess from when compared to like dark knight that was the big blockbuster right right and now less of have, a think piece have, i guess and now you have the opposite situation where barbie is like the big blockbuster and oppenheimer is like quote unquote like the more I guess it is the more artsy movie in a way, uh, like the more cinema movie when it comes to like Oscars and shit like that. I I love all four movies by the way, <laughs> in that and that conceit at least. But uh, yeah, I would say that this crazy thing that happened is more than like just the cinema of it all. It's like more of how social media has changed uh like society in general i guess because this blew up on social media pr of companies and all that warner brothers spent like 50 billion dollars in the barbie um and like campaign. tom cruise talking about it exactly I, everyone was excited about it um and having seen both they make for a pretty good double feature actually weirdly enough uh watching like a three-hour depressing drama epic and then moving on to like a candy colored like like two hour comedy is like a palate cleanser is like honestly great. I watched both of them the same day, so uh so yeah, no no complaints for me in that department. And go go ahead. 
I think also they like really boosted each other's box office. I think Barbie would have been a hit anyway, but Oppenheimer, like you get the highest opening ever for a non-Batman, a Nolan film. It's already made more than Dial of Destiny, it's, and it's been out for a week. Like yeah. I would never have yeah. guessed that that like Oppenheimer makes more than Flash, Indiana Jones, uh, Dungeons and Drag, like all these movies after one week. And it's great to, like, I work at a movie theater, so it's nice to see, like, two movies like that that are bringing so many people to the theaters, like, and now Barbie could even make Top Gun levels of money. So, yeah, I really hope it beats Mario, because I did not like Mario. I still haven't watched it. Uh, but uh, Barbie actually had, like, the second best opening weekend of, uh, of this year, which was almost above the expectations uh, from the industry. Um... And now we're recording this, this on a, uh, next Monday and after the second weekend. And it just made like one of the best second weekends ever. I think the sixth best uh, second weekend of all time. So I don't think, I think, I think you might be wrong with the fact that like, it would probably have been a hit, but it wouldn't be, have been as big a hit if Oppenheimer didn't come out at the same time. Like, I think it helped... It helped they attract helped each, they helped, they helped the film other. bros. I think they helped each other a lot. It wasn't like only one way from uh, Barbie to Oppenheimer, but like because I remember when we were in Oppenheimer, there were like, like they looked our age, like women our age, sitting behind us and being like, "Okay, great, now Barbie." So it's like they definitely helped each other. Also, yeah. talk about Barbie's opening for, um, for a female directed film, and it's not even close. That's just great to see too. Yeah. And I'm glad uh, uh, Greta Gerwig is the one that got that. I will say, I am kind of... I, I hope that that doesn't happen. Her next movies are supposed to be for Netflix. And I kind of hate that. I wanted to go... Yeah. So I kind of hoped that, like... She's right now, she has the title for biggest box office for a woman director. And I want her to keep going in that direction. With, like, big-ass blockbusters at the movie theater. So yeah, I'm kind of upset that that's her next project. That um, that we're not seeing like a theatrical studio give a female director like that more creative freedom. But yeah. maybe maybe they just have the Narnia property and she's interested. Yeah. So I think uh, I think Barbie will will easily clear a, a billion dollars. It's already like more than seven hundred in like two weeks. Uh, maybe no, even one point five. And um, it, I think it yeah, I think it's gonna be the biggest movie of this year. Uh, and Oppenheimer is probably going to be like the biggest like Oscar movie of this year, I guess. Uh, it's probably going to clear like seven hundred million ish. I think yeah, at least six hundred million. We're going to see it past Dunkirk. Uh, we're going to see it probably get around those levels of Interstellar, like seven hundred million. Maybe not Inception, but you never know. I think I think the only thing that's stopping it is maybe the R rating. But I also think most of the target audience is like, I don't know, like. We had Joker make a billion, so maybe yeah, but, R rating doesn't yeah. really and stop also, people it anymore. Did make uh, something like forty million in the second weekend, which is crazy, like forty six million, which is actually the that was the projection for the first weekend, and it made that in the second weekend, which is crazy. Um, so I wouldn't count it out. I think like even it could maybe like in a perfect world it would like lag up to like 
barely making a billion but i don't think it's gonna happen i don't i don't think it's out of the question though also like yeah. in yeah. january february they could do re-releases and it'll pass the finish line i don't think it's out of the question but it's like yeah best case also, scenario yeah but i also think that a big problem that you have when you compare it to barbie's like the rewatchability of Oppenheimer when compared to Barbie is like probably way lower, right? Like um, the chances of you rewatching like a cotton candy like comedy for two hours is a lot higher than of you rewatching a historical drama about a physicist. So I think also, yeah, so I yeah. do always say though that in terms of like um, like A list actors, A list directors, like just the names that can bring in. Uh, audiences alone i think the only directors that are still like guaranteed sales at the box office are nolan tarantino and jordan peele like they're the only ones who will like for sure bring people to the box office so i think nolan has this fan base that no matter what he makes yeah. like unless he's making paint dry probably like people will probably come because of buy, him I probably still buy it yeah i think we've talked about this before but he is my favorite director um he is mine too fantastic so uh let's actually get into our reviews now uh and let's start with the openest of heimers the movie about j robert oppenheimer uh which is definitely why this movie is so big no i'm joking that's not really at all <laughs> but uh tell us a little bit more about oppenheimer so oppenheimer is i think the 12th film from christopher nolan it's got killian murphy in the titular role and as of now they've had six movies together which is great to see and also, I won't talk about everyone who's in the movie, but we got Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., and Florence Pugh, uh, alongside a million other actors. Let's just talk about that. And it starts with J. Robert Oppenheimer being recruited into the Manhattan Project, which was one of the most top secret and important um, sort of teams uh, behind the scenes of what had happened in World War II and their efforts to build the atom bomb in order to uh, make the japanese and nazis surrender yeah uh let's start talking about like nolan's directing and writing here uh he adapted of course this screenplay from a book uh but other than that it's pretty much his vision um i think i think he did a great job like usually it's very complex to understand nolan's like time even in a movie that is supposed to be dramatization of reality, where you'll be okay, so I guess you do have a time that you can follow. He doesn't do that. <laughs> um, and I didn't understand exactly until, uh, um, I don't remember if it was him that confirmed this, but like, basically the black and white scenes are scenes that are not from Oppenheimer's point of view. And the colored scenes are scenes that are from Oppenheimer's point of view. That's that's like the the difference and that's that's genius because uh there's also a lot of scenes in black and white that Oppenheimer's not even there not a lot but some uh and all the colored scenes Oppenheimer's always there uh so i did appreciate that he didn't do like crazy like different tones for different time periods it was only that that apparently was the only rule and it came off great. Like I feel like it was a lot easier to understand than a lot of this, uh, a lot of his movies. Probably because of the subject matter, uh, matter that it's like something that actually happened and not a crazy sci-fi dream. Um, but yeah, I I can't complain about this man's directing. He's perfect. 
Well, that's so much to take it. Wow, that's interesting. Because, yeah, well, that's, I didn't even think of that until now. And now it puts a lot of things into perspective. I love that. Because also, a lot of the, like, the nuke scenes, like, not nuke scenes, like, the science scenes are, like, in his imagination. Like, you see these sparks and these fire, which are some of the best moments of the movie. And so, like, so like they're in color because it's his, in his mind. Yeah. And... When I think of his directing in this movie, I just think of those three plus hour epics like Lawrence of Arabia, where you're like covering this massive scale and like this incredible moment in history, like incredible as in it's so big to take in. Yeah. And the way he's even framing like the ranches or like the lights going up during the test or even just like like these building blocks that he has in his offices, everything is framed yeah. Uh, so beautifully and you can really feel that like the power of mankind is resting on this mission and they're about to like bend almost bend earth and reality and possibly unleash the beast with this uh, so i loved his writing as well I, I thought also just like i thought also a lot of people complain about Nolan's writing sometimes or even his dialogue and i thought he just nailed the writing here the pace of it yeah. uh, the way he explains it the sophistication of it i um, I think it's an excellent script. Yeah, I think the testament of that is that it's a three-hour movie, and at least for me, I didn't feel it at all. Like, I felt it was three hours, but it was, like, a l not a light three hours, but you know what I mean. Like, I, I didn't I didn't feel like, uh, like it was, like, one of those heavy three-hour movies, if that makes sense, because of the pacing, because of uh, his writing. Um, so, yeah, Nolan, 10 out of 10 always. But, uh... I want to talk about Killian uh, Murphy's chances here. I think he has a real shot of winning the Oscar this year. Just because I think a lot of things are also going to get cancelled <laughs> or moved to next year. But um, So you've got to factor that in. But even if you didn't factor that in, he just delivered, in my opinion, the best performance of his career. And um, so far, probably the best performance of the year. I don't know if you've watched Peaky Blinders. I haven't yet. I've but, watched um, about two seasons of Peaky Blinders, and he's great in yeah. that. Okay, awesome. But for me, like it was this is incredible transformation from him. Again, I've only seen him in movies like uh, like Inception, and of course, like The Scarecrow and uh, Quiet Place Part Two, and so on. But like just the way he acts with his eyes in this movie is so incredible. Uh, or like his voice, his facial movements. I loved his performance, and I remember before he was cast, when you heard Nolan doing Oppenheimer movie, everyone was like, cast Killian Murphy. So I love that it wasn't just like, oh, he looks like him, but he's just, he was perfect. So I'm so grateful for their career and their collaborations together that gave us this performance eventually. Yeah. And I think likely he's going to get nominated for Best Actor, especially because I think 100%, no. this is, no. I'd say so, especially because this is considered right now critically one of Nolan's most acclaimed movies. And so far, only one performance from any Nolan movie has been Oscar nominated, which is Heath Ledger for The Dark Knight. And he won. But he won. Uh, Yeah, and he won. Uh, but no one else has been nominated. So I think this being a historical movie, him being a historical figure, very transformative, that's going to help it. In terms of winning, I mean, there's a shot there. Like, it's... It's definitely there. I It's July, so it's really early to predict. Yeah. Yeah. The other ones on the radar, I'd say, are 
Coleman Domingo and Rustin and Bradley Cooper and Maestro, which could be a career award because he's been nominated nine times before. And they're both Netflix movies, so I don't know what Netflix wants to do in terms of they're releasing the rest of the movies this year. Like, they're a streaming giant. They care only about views. Yeah, I don't think maybe they want to. I don't think they're going to move, honestly, the Netflix stuff uh, and, and the Apple TV stuff either. So I think, like, uh, yeah, those movies are safe, I think. But I think it's really like, incredibly likely he'll get nominated and he'll be one of the most talked about front runners until it's yeah. clear yeah. who's getting the awards at you the wanna, ceremonies. You said that Nolan only got one actor so far. This year, he's for sure getting two, in my humble opinion. Because I think Mr. Robert Downey Jr. is getting in for supporting actor. And again, I know it's early on. I know it's very early. And with Killian, I 100% can't see him like maybe not winning uh, so far. But I gotta say, I think RDJ's chances are, are good. Like, this was a career-defining role for him, in my opinion. Ooh, this is the best big statement there from the man who played Iron Man. This is the best I've seen of him. And I totally transformative, completely different person. And um, I didn't see Iron Man. I didn't see RDJ. I saw that dude that yeah, I forgot. Louis Strauss. <laughs> Louis Strauss. 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 I, he said Strauss, not Strauss. Okay, so I saw him 100% of the time, not for a millisecond did I not think that that performance was incredible. So yeah, uh, hot take. I think he's winning the, the Oscar this year. <laughs> I think he was excellent. I'd love to see him nominated, and you're not the only person saying that. So I think if, if Universal sees the same potential that the fans do, the nomination will happen. But again, I don't know who else. Again, I don't want to no, say I win. I don't think... I know, I yeah, know it's still I don't July. Think... I know, but yeah. I think these two nominations are locked. But I don't think he's like J.K. Simmons in Whiplash, where you watch it and he's like, he's winning no matter the competition. But I think he's like he's very, very likely to get yeah. nominated, yeah. especially because he's had a great career journey um, since like, he's been nominated for Chaplin and Tropic Thunder before, which love him in Tropic Thunder. But I think this will also stand out for Academy voters and especially Robert Downey Jr. being so respected. And yeah. this like being like one of his first biggest roles post Iron Man period for him. Yeah, uh, for sure. So I also want to touch on the beautiful score that I've been listening to by uh, Ludwig Göransson. He of course won Oscars before for uh, his uh, his scores, so not not news that it's fantastic. But yeah, it's it's great. Um, do you have anything to touch on that? <laughs> I just love this guy. He is like. He sort of came in and became like he's one of the next big ones. Like yeah, he has the potential Shakino to become up there with Hans like Zimmer. The two big ones right now, I feel like of the modern age of cinema. Who'd you say? Him and Justin Hurwitz? No, him and, said? him and Giacchino. Oh, well, Giacchino's a lot older, but yeah. Um, I and I guess I think Hurwitz, he's yeah. Yeah, I, I think he's gonna get up there. No, I, I was generally just asking like what you said because I didn't hear. But, no, but um, you were right. <laughs> Yeah, but Gorenson, like, he's he basically came into Hollywood with his collaborations with Ryan Cooler, which got him both of his nominations and his win. Um, I think, like, if he doesn't get nominated, at least for this score, I, I think they're insane. This is an incredible score. It's beautiful. It's booming. Like, 
like it's at the level of like Hans Zimmer's score for Inception, in my opinion. Yeah, um, and he didn't even get nominated for Tenet, which is sad because I love that score. Uh, but he won for Black Panther and was nominated for Wakanda Forever. Nice. So, uh, you know, they love him. Like, yeah, for sure. that's not a problem. Uh, and I guess to sort of like end our uh, Oppenheimer discussion, uh, let's talk just a little bit about uh, the cinematography by Hoyte van Hoytem. I hate saying his name. I love the guy, but I hate saying his name. Um, and just the use of practical effects and lighting in that cinematography compared to using CGI, like we've talked about before, that like Nolan used zero CGI shots on a movie about the atomic bomb, and I think that's incredible. You really feel how real uh, everything is. Uh, if you ever wanted to like win the argument against CGI, just show people this movie. Um, there's still a lot that you can do with practical effects if you just put in the time. Not to mention we just had Dead Reckoning. Yeah. Where Tom Cruise basically did the biggest stunt of all time. Practically. I just think it's it's beautiful how Nolan brought this to life. Like you you don't feel the illusion there. You feel like you're immersed in the history. You feel like you're immersed in the scale. Um it just it's like an adventure almost. Yeah. Um And you know what? It costs a hundred million dollars. This movie costs less than Indiana Jones, like a third of Indiana Jones. Uh Mission Impossible, all of these big movies that just came out cost way less than Ant Man. And it looks 500 million times better. So, like, that's the proof that when you put the care in, you don't need to put that much money. You don't need that much CGI. You just need people that care and that are good at what they do. <laughs> and, to, and to not rush people. You need the time. Mm-hmm. That's For sure. That's also, you talked about um, Oppenheimer's perspective. So, you know, when you hear about an Oppenheimer movie, you're like, okay, at the end, are they going to, are we going to see the bombing of Hiroshima or something? We actually see it from Oppenheimer's perspective, which is just learning about it through the radio and feeling like the psychological ramifications. So what no one actually chose to do is to have the middle of the movie be this big, like loud moment, which is the Trinity test and what he does with the sound, with the visuals. I just think it's... It's like everything that he's been working towards uh, in his filmography. And then Hoyt Van Hoytema, this guy is like a Hollywood beast, in my opinion. I feel like he I've is, always been sort of vouching for him. And he he shot also Interstellar, Dunkirk, Tenet, uh, Spectre, Her, Ad Astra, Nope. I just think he's always been impressing me uh, and is one of my favorite cinematographers. So I think he has potential to finally win an Oscar here, honestly. I, I yeah. hope. I hope so too, man. They love black and white movies at the Oscars. So, oh yeah, (laughs) that's true too. (laughs) So here, here's to and movies set during war, because like Dunkirk, nineteen no nineteen seventeen, All Quiet on the Western Front won this award. Speaking of, and this I think we can end our Oppenheimer discussion with this point because I think that's one of the reasons maybe that Oppenheimer got made. What are Nolan's chances at a Best Director Oscar? It's looking good, I would say. Um, I agree. He's I agree. I, he's been nominated at least five times. I'm not sure the exact number, but he's one of those where he's a current director. He's very beloved, like him, Fincher, the West, and Paul Thomas Anderson, etc. Who they're incredibly beloved, but they're always on everyone's list of have never won an Oscar. Yeah, and with Christopher yeah. Nolan, with the entire industry, 
showing up for him uh, to act in this movie with everyone praising him uh, and it finally being a movie that can appeal to audiences with it being a historical Top Geeky movie. I don't know if it'll win Best Picture, but I do think Nolan will be one of the frontrunners in the conversation for Best Director, even though it does seem like uh, with directing, they're going a lot for like the message and thematically lately, like um, not saying they didn't deserve it, but like like they didn't care to award Steven Spielberg again or so on. But I do think Nolan has the narrative and he would more than deserve it. Yeah, I feel like he only got nominated um, as a director only once. Oh, yeah, it was in 2017 for uh, Dunkirk. So that, I, that was his only uh, directing nod. And then he was also nominated for writing Memento and Inception. Yeah, he's, uh, and also he got, of course, a Best Picture nom also for Dunkirk. Uh, so those are his. And for Inception too, I think. Yeah, so uh, yeah. I was right. It's five. It's original okay. screenplay for, Incep for Memento, picture and original screenplay for Inception, and picture and director for Dunkirk. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it's his time, honestly. I think they have to give it to him. Uh, his body of work speaks for itself. Uh, I know I'm probably biased as fuck, but like he has three movies in my top 15, in my top 15 movies of all time. And he's the only director that has that. Um, and maybe who knows, maybe Oppenheimer will get on that. Uh, so, because so, for me, also, it's, it's one of those, for me, it's his it's fourth best the, movie, by the way. So it's like, it's, it's definitely top five top for me. My ranking um, of his changes a lot, but it's top five for sure. Also, if he loses, like, what will it take for him? Like, he's been giving everything for this industry. Like, especially his whole, like, dedication to the cinematic experience and yeah. shooting on film. I think also connects to, like, preserving creativity and fighting for creators to be recognized this year. I think it could really fit with the narrative, too. I agree. Okay, so scores for Oppenheimer. I think this is an easy one. 10 out of 10 for me. Your Yuga, also 10 out of 10. Fantastic. So great. Um, let's talk about the other behemoth, the actually bigger behemoth that came out the same weekend. Barbie part of Barbenheimer. Uh, directed by Greta Gerwig. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so Greta Gerwig wrote and directed it, and she wrote it with Noah Baumbach, who is her real-life partner, and they've, of course, worked on other movies together like Francis Ha and White Noise. And you've got Margot Robbie's stereotypical Barbie, Ryan Gosling's stereotypical Ken. In addition, you got no, no, America no. Ferreira. Beach Ken. Beach Ken, okay. Then you also got America Ferreira, Kate McKinnon, Michael Sarah, Issa Rae, Simu Liu, uh, Will Ferrell, Kingsley Ben-Adir, um, Dua Lipa's in this movie, Emerald Fennell, a lot of great people. Yeah, that's all I'll yeah. say. Let's let's start the discussion with uh, with the partner combo of uh, Gerwig and Bumbach. Like you said, they worked together before; they're partners in real life, and I think they wrote probably the funniest probably script, the funniest of, the script of the year. <laughs> It's funny as hell. Oh, it's I, that's my opinion, that's but I want to hear hell. what you think. <laughs> I need to think because what were like the best comedies that came out this year? I think this is like up there, but it's just funny as hell. Because listen, when you announced a Barbie movie, like a Warner Brothers 
movie about a real life Barbie. This had potential to be an atrocity. I was, I was like it had potential movie. to be like a cat's emoji movie level atrocity. Then yeah. Greta Gerwig came on and everyone was hyped as hell. Yeah. And that's that's that this, was, that's what made it for me for sure. Like before that uh, when it was also gonna be with Amy Schumer, I was like, "Oh, that oh is God, not no. what I want." That is we not dodged what I want a at all. bullet, jeez. Uh, so yeah, so when Greta got on and uh, Robbie got on, uh, Robbie got on first because she's also produced. Like, Twenty twenty three ranked list. I think this is the funniest movie of the year so far. Yeah, um, for me as well. And um, so yeah, like uh, when Robbie got on as a producer, and then Greta got on with Noah, I think that movie just elevated to an insane amount. Yeah, I mean, also, I feel like this movie, like, leans into some of the stuff that you would expect from a Barbie movie. Like, there's just people saying, like, hi, Barbie, or, like, them doing, like, silly flips, like, stuff that you would, that you would maybe picture if you imagined a real-life Barbie land. But there's this cheekiness to it. Like, whenever they say stuff that maybe is not supposed to be, like, dug under the surface, there is something. Like, for example, in the trailer, there's, like, her going, did you bring your rollerblades? And Ken going, I literally go nowhere without them. And I don't know, it's just, like, something about the delivery of all these, like, silly lines just immediately makes Barbie and Barbie Land, like, this lovable place. Uh, even, like, the Lizzo song, like, all of it just worked for me. Yeah, I've been hearing that. I've been listening to that soundtrack non stop like i'm at the gym blasting i'm just ken daily daily um go ahead to the male experience i'm just ken and i'm enough and i'm great at doing stuff so hey check me out i'm just ken my name's ken and so am i put that manly hand in mine how godly are those lyrics is indeed enough um i think they say that in the song as well uh but um but yeah incredible soundtrack um uh like the dua lipa song is also so fun uh but let's talk a little bit about uh robbie first like she like i said she produced the movie i just actually watched an interview where she said that she didn't really cast herself like she was kind of going to but like when Greta got on after her, she asked Greta if she would be the best person to play Barbie as well. Like, she she left that on Greta's hand, and Greta wrote the character for her, right? She was like, yeah, it's you, and I'm writing it for you. For you. So Even though there's a joke in the movie about Margot Robbie's casting. Exactly. I think that's, uh, that's the, that's, it was written around. Um, so yeah, uh, she was a great producer for putting this together. She's the probably the best stereotypical Barbie that we could have gotten without it being like cheesy or weird or uh, over-sexualized or something. Like, yeah. Even like Anne Hathaway was at one point supposed to be cast, and I don't oh, think it would have God. even been as natural as Definitely what Margot not. Robbie gave us. Definitely not. Um, and yeah, let's talk about uh, the elephant in the room. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling. That's his job, yeah. by the way. His job is beach. That's what he says. Like, not lifeguard, just his beach. Job is... And it works for the movie. Like, it's so dumb, but it works. But I will say, it was pretty predictable that he was going to steal the show, but he steals the show in a way. 
Well, I won't let you do just one appendectomy. But I'm a man. But not a doctor. Can I talk to a doctor? You are talking to a doctor. Can I need a clicky pen? No. A sharp thing? No. There he is. Doctor! Somebody get security. That is got gun people talking about Oscar chances for best supporting actor. I am not joking. This is around Variety, Hollywood Reporter, all of that. Um, There's a serious uh, passion behind Barbie getting in for best picture now. I, I wouldn't be mad at that. And I wouldn't be mad at him being up for supporting actor. I'm not sure if he should win over RDJ, but, uh, but yeah, he sh I think he should be up there, honestly, just because like he took a role that I think, I think this role only works because it's him. I don't think, maybe it's a hot take, but I don't think any other actor would have done as well with, uh, with this role. And um, again, he steals the movie. Uh, even when he's an asshole, he's perfect at being an asshole. Uh, I really want to get like a like a like what is it like a little mat outside my door that says "Welcome to my Dojo Mojo Casa House." I really want to do that. That's like my goal right now. <laughs> uh, What's that? There was a meme about that where it was like. Instead of Grand Budapest Hotel or something, it was like Grand Mojo Dojo. I I just think I was so much more imp not that Bar that Margot Robbie did anything wrong, but I was so impressed by Ryan Gosling. Not that he's already one of my favorite actors, period. But just seeing him flex was incredible. Just seeing him like do like like all his comedic and singing talents. He's dove in into so much dramatic roles lately, but to show him do it without any sort of ego or anything like the character has ego but he's just doing it with this so much love for what he's doing like when he's singing and whatnot he's just incredible at what he does and you know we've seen him sing in la la land we've seen him be like super silly and misogynistic and crazy stupid love but it's still i would watch it forever yeah he probably is one of my best one of my favorite actors right now for sure like you said you just listed two of my favorite films um, probably one of my favorite com uh, rom-coms and definitely my favorite musical. So, and he's in both and he's incredible in both and he's incredible here. Again, stole the show and yeah, I could see the, that weird, uh, nom happening. I wouldn't be mad at it. I just don't want people to be upset if it doesn't happen. Cause it's very much like, Oh, people are going to be, uh, but <laughs> Uh, I think <laughs> who else stood out in the cast the, for you? The, no, but just just a final point of in his character, he has he has such an insane like um like journey in this movie about discovering the patriarchy and trying to install it in Barbieland. It's like the craziest premise, the craziest fucking premise, and he and he sells it and like he's incredibly funny and weirdly relatable for playing a doll and um you feel everything that he feels like he like the guy absolutely like just, just i think he, he keeps falling back into that category of playing sigma males so we shouldn't have been fooled here yeah uh let's talk a little bit about the uh, like you said the other cast members uh i think the highlight for the other people in this movie for me were two Weird by Weird Barbie played uh, by Kate McKinnon, and Alan played 
by Michael Cera. I knew you were going to say Brilliantly. that. Brilliantly. Uh, I saw he, you on Letterboxd saying, as an Allen, this is hard to watch. That was a bit of a joke because, like, mostly everything he did, I probably would have done the same. And my friends were watching with me. And every time that he said anything or did anything, they would turn to me, laugh, and say, you would do that or you would say that. Um, so, yeah, he's definitely my, my spirit animal in that way. But um, Also, there's a joke about, like, Alan's being in the real world. That was one of my favorite jokes in the whole movie. Yeah, and uh, just the up, like, I fe- I heard, uh, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't remember who said it, but I, uh, a reviewer say that, like, people say that this movie, re- not people, stupid people, say that this movie, like, misrepresents men and says that all, men's, that all men are bad and all that. No, like, uh, the whole thing is that, like, Alan is the only, like, free doll because he's not a wow. cat. He's, like, unique. That's a good point. He's, like, unique. He's, like, uh, it's only Alan. But, like, it's, yeah, that's the take. That, like, because he's the only free one that doesn't have to conform to being a cat. Dude, why am I, like, why are we talking, like, so in-depth <laughs> about the themes of a Barbie movie? Why is this movie so much fun? Like, So, basically, it's what every man could be if they, like, got away from like this the expectations of being a man and all that which in the case of the movies the expectations of being a can so uh, congratulations alan you're the you're the ideal man but i do think not to toot my own horn uh but um, i don't think the movie really yeah. like antagonizes men like it, it antagonizes so like so systems based on patriarchal like like structures but i, I think the main idea is that men and women can be awesome you don't need each other's approval you just need to focus on your own identity and self-discovery you know like romance is great but it shouldn't be like like the whole movie is criticizing uh needing to appease men or dress for them or etc or needing to look hot or play a song or be dominant over a woman that's the whole theme of the movie and i don't think it was personally as a man i didn't feel it was biased towards anyone no but to be fair we we're we're definitely not the men that are saying that shit <laughs> but yeah like I, that that was the analysis that basically like yeah that's he he's what man should be so i'm excited that people think i'm him he was he was my favorite character by the way again do with that what you do with that what you will with how i think of myself but he was my favorite character <laughs> was great i loved him also um say america ferreira i think was a great part of it her character was kind of the heart of the movie and i think her storyline is also why i think this would be a terrific watch for like moms and daughters and just like all basically any i think i think this movie is good for everyone but like especially like women seeing themselves in this movie and then i just loved simu liu he is having so much fun with this movie and he's like the perfect Ken. He's credited as tourist Ken, but I just—he uh, was a great Ken. Um, but all the—he's like the arch uh, nemesis of the main Ken. Yeah. Uh, played by, uh, but Ryan he's Dawson. Simu Liu, so it's so like fun. so likable. Also, um, and when he said that the Barbie script was the best thing he ever read, we all laughed. But it's a pretty freaking great script. And I feel like after reading the script, why would you not want to be a part of this movie after you read the script? Like, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Even John Cena signed up for this. Yeah, um, I will say my favorite random person that was there that I didn't know was there until I was in the theater was Scott Evans. 
he's so funny he doesn't have that many lines but he's so so funny extra but he's like oh like he's just he's he understood the assignment exactly yeah uh kings of benadir is great uh and kutigat was also great yeah like uh is a ray uh yeah fantastic cast everything in the barbie world like this movie asks you to suspend disbelief so much and like not question whatever's going on like there are no rules of logic in this movie like she just floats like they explain it somewhat that it corresponds to dolls being played with but you do have to suspend disbelief yeah. Yeah. but it being I a barbie it movie like works in that sense because like yeah it totally works like there's yeah. it's just the kind of tone and the kind of movie where yeah they're dancing at a dance party with all this like completely synchronized dance choreography and everyone just understands the choreography you can hop in and do exactly what everyone else is doing but you're just in for the ride yeah. Like, I don't know how to explain it. Like, I didn't care that you, like, there's no explanation for how exactly Barbie Land funnier, works. It's just all like, great. Like, people use the word magical realism for when, they're, when they go to the real world. Because it's supposed to be the real world. But then you go into Mattel and it's just, like, the most cartoonish thing ever. Um, so, yeah, like, I think that works perfectly here. Like, magical realism of, like, them running around and, like, chasing her and all that. Trying to put her back in the box. Um, interesting and i also just think like thing by itself yeah. i also think this movie is going to draw a lot of comparisons to the lego movie because both are about toys who correspond with being played with in the real world will ferrell plays a guy about who's all about business in the lego movie he's literally president in business i, I think it's going to draw a lot of comparisons yeah you're right uh and they're both great movies so why not uh okay so let's finish it out what what grade would you give barbie right now i'd give it an eight um but it's the kind of movie where when i think about it when i think about what's in this movie it makes me smile i'd happily rewatch it and it's it's weird that i'd be like yeah like i want to rewatch this with my friends one day it's it's a really fun movie i'm sorry like why is this one of the most exciting (laughs) movies so far uh i'm definitely gonna rewatch with uh my with my two best friends when it comes out on digital uh yeah it's a nine out of ten for me uh it's currently my third favorite movie of the year uh i yeah i had a freaking blast watching this movie i missed watching a good comedy i think Uh, it's like fun i think it's like probably on like bottom of my top 10 of the year so far but it's one of the most fun like if i see myself rewatching, for me you know how i do my top 10s and stuff like it's basically enjoyment level that's totally it's still like my favorite comedy of the year i think you know what you said about the awards buzz i hope it at least gets a little more talk i think costume design and production design especially with all the behind the scenes talk in the news it's a lock to get nominated that's awesome yeah like we were speaking of nolan almost no cgi most mostly all practical all those sets were real real so speaking of costume designers i'll say one thing to close out our discussion um, 91-year-old costume designer Anne Roth, who is a two-time Oscar winner, most recently for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, has a beautiful scene on a bench with Margot Robbie's Barbie, oh, which I thought was a lovely moment. I kind of thought that I kind of thought that, that was the uh, the inventor of Barbie's daughter. <laughs> oh, I wonder if they're alive. Uh, probably, but. Okay, so uh, yeah, let's. That was our discussion on Barbieheimer. Make sure to subscribe to our channel. Leave your comments down below of what you thought of Barbenheimer, Barbie, Oppenheimer. 
which one you prefer, which one was uh, more fun for you. Did you do the, the double screen? Uh, let us know. Yeah, tell us about your experience. Tell us about your crowd, how far in between you saw, which ones you liked more. What do you yeah, think the awards uh, chances like, are? Like. Very important. Very important. Yeah, that uh, is important. Uh, um, okay, now that we've talked about great things, let's talk about a not so great thing. Uh, tell me a little bit more, Gal, about mid invasion. Yeah, secret invasion. Um, just came out on Disney Plus, and it's a basically a spin-off follow-up sequel series to Captain Marvel. Uh, and this one, Nick Fury comes. Uh, Nick, this one, Nick Fury goes back to Earth after hanging out on the Saber um, space station for a couple of years, as we saw in Spider-Man: Far From Home. And he's helping Talos stop a civil war between the Skrulls, which could lead to the Skrulls taking over Earth as we know it. And this had potential to be one of like the biggest like Disney Plus events, and. Didn't feel like it cared to do much with that potential. I'll be honest. Yeah, like, I think this was my one of my most ex, like one of the MCU shows that I was most excited about when they when they first announced them, and it is currently my least favorite, or I guess the worst, uh, in my opinion. And um, I guess in I a agree. lot of people's opinions, of the shows. the worst rated uh, on Rotten Tomatoes out of all of them. Uh, I think, so far, yeah, this and Eternals are the only because She Hulk had some good episodes in there, even though I hated a few of them. She Hulk, I think, knew how She Hulk knew that it was trying to have fun. Like, I'm not, I didn't love She Hulk. I thought it was, eh. but this, but had, like, I felt like great episodes in there. You know what I mean? Yeah, this but I felt like Secret like Invasion <laughs> from episode one and two. I was like, why is this already kind of tiring? And I've never said that about Marvel. Like maybe. Like maybe you could say that about the jokes in the most recent Thor, the runtime of Eternals. Also, for me, not bad movies, yes. but Secret Invasion. Bad I just felt like the runtime. <laughs> like I'm also not, I'm also not like the biggest Phase Four hater, but this also I just felt like, yeah. I also Phase when it was coming out before worse. I saw it. So has been worse so far. I think it's worse personally, <laughs> and I also just didn't care for it. Like even when it was coming out, I was uh, like I didn't care. Like I didn't even check when it was ending. I was just sort of like watching Barry and watching this because those were like Barry's a much better show. I don't even have to tell you that. Uh, yeah, I think it kind of just felt like homework for me. Like I watched it every week, but mostly because I was bored, <laughs> and that was it. I was like, I'm bored. There's nothing to do. I'll watch this week's Secret Invasion. And at the end, I felt the same way every week. I was like, oh, I guess I could have watched something better. Yeah. Also, um, Samuel L. Jackson, I think, does very good. Like he's, let's, I'm not going to duke on him. He is one of the most charismatic actors to ever stand in front of a camera. Him and Ben um, kind of make this show. Like, not really because the show's shit, but like, they're, they're Whenever they're on screen, it is at least entertaining because they're such good actors. Absolutely. Ben Mendelsohn, I think he's very charismatic too. He has that great Australian accent and he's a more heartfelt aspect of the show. Once you find out in Captain Marvel that he's a good guy, it's just greatness from Talos and like his good guy-ness. Yeah, um, but... I will say his daughter kind of disappointed me, like Gaia. Uh, when, um, 
when Emilia Clark was cast as Gaia, we we all knew she was gonna play Gaia. Like I think from the beginning, even though they never confirmed it until I think the show came out. Uh, like because in the show you find out, and it's supposed to be a big review, but everyone knew about it. Um, like I in the comics. This, by the way, is nothing like the comics, um, like at all. Um, but in the comics, it's this huge event with all the Avengers and all that. And one of the villains is Gaia as the Scroll Queen or something like that. I don't remember. I read it like years ago. <laughs> but uh, um, I thought we were going to get that. Could you imagine like a badass Amelia Clark, Mother of Dragon style uh, like ruler of scrolls that's like this badass bitch. And like we got like this weird like henchwoman type of thing with a stupid fake death sorry about the spoiler but like who gives a shit okay let's um, start with we can get in, now a spoiler warning it was from already, now on it spoilers was a spoiler review anyway so just um, so you know in case you didn't notice that it says spoiler review down here the whole yeah, time yeah but like it's just they wasted her she's a great actress and they wasted her and her stupid fight in the end where she becomes kind of like all the avengers she becomes all... I it know was it didn't look good book thing. i know but it doesn't matter that it didn't look awful. good it looks awful it doesn't matter that it didn't look also i don't know is is that a concept that can work visually like you get the powers of captain marvel and drax and mantis like i don't know if don't if they could have so, just honestly. done it better or it just didn't work, work visually it works more as a threat that you talk about, but even then, like I, I knew that they weren't going to win. But back to Gaia, I don't know if it's a combination of the performance and the writing. I don't think the character was convincing. This woman, this scroll, who um, is now working with her mother's murderer, just because she's mad at her dad for not getting the scrolls our home. Like literally, this whole thing could have just been avoided with him and Fury saying, "Like, hey, we're doing our best here." And this movie, this show also really tries to deconstruct Fury as a character, like sort of saying like, hey, you're kind of a bum. And it didn't always work for me. Like not not the fact that it's being critical of the character, yeah. but I don't know if the transition to him being a main character, like the lead of the show really worked completely. It didn't because again, they keep destroying these characters for no reason, like with this deconstruction. If it works, it can work well. But like, I feel like, First of all, we've done it so many times at this point. We had the discussion about Indiana Jones as well. Like, there's no reason why he should be so fucking sad. Like, I get it. Like, uh, he disappeared on because of the snap and all that. But, like, and apparently he was married to a scroll. And, like, but, like... You know, here's what I, I will say. Know. That he, aspect was kind of touching. Like the most inept person ever in the show every decision he made was stupid and like he seemed like so out of his death and he seemed like i know that that was the point but it just came out as like you destroying one of the your best characters i also yeah if you look at him like he's kind of just supposed to be like take no shit kind of kind of guy and yeah i do he think this like that. his wife aspect was kind of touching you find out that he's been married all along by the way i told alan this is a funny thing Charlene Woodard, who plays, um, what's the character's name? I'm sorry. Um, Priscilla Davis 
aka cool. Vara, actually played Samuel L. Jackson's mom in Glass, even though she's actually oh, younger yeah, than him. Um, so that's just a funny thing. And then, so yeah, about Fury as a character, like, I have no problem with him saying, like, okay, maybe Fury's been running from something, maybe he's afraid, maybe he's vulnerable. But also some of the discussions and the development didn't work for me, didn't interest me. Like, he has this discussion with Don Cheadle about, like, uh, black people in power looking out for each other. And it didn't feel like it had much to say, especially compared to, like, like the Black Panther movies or even, like, Anthony Mackie, some of the things he had to say, yeah. uh, like, as a black man taking on the mantle of Captain America in that show. Yeah. This show as a whole, I think, was going for, um, like, that same like political thriller vibe that winter soldier had that Falcon and winter soldier had. But unlike that, this didn't have much to say new about the MCU. It's like reaction to real world events. Like all it had to say was humans are afraid of the other, which is something we've seen a million times in the X-Men movies. And I feel like it doesn't work with, um, with the subject matter, like scrolls, because that's such a special effect heavy situation. I don't think a grounded, espionage thriller was the right genre to I was thinking in. that it didn't blend for it's me it's supposed to be a space epic story <laughs> like yeah maybe that's that's for me like I think we should get into the question of was it necessary Nothing was it so necessary? Was necessary at this point <laughs> let's face it <laughs> from the question of like in Captain Marvel like the scrolls are good guys and i feel like a lot of people there were like oh but we want secret invasion we want to have bad scrolls so marvel really wanted to please people with that i don't think it's inherently a bad concept but i know that at the end the scrolls are gonna all be on the good side again because why would they be defended in captain marvel and then I don't half of them be this... annihilated yeah. and i also think it would have worked better tonally like you said if if this secret invasion plot would have played out as a movie with the Marvel's characters like Brie exactly. Larson and Iman Vellani. This wasn't Captain Marvel too. Like it could even be the Marvels and like you know you have Gaia as the bad guy as the leader of the Scrolls, like I suggested before, as she's in the comics, and you have all these guys. You have Batman, so you have um, Samuel L. Jackson and the Marvels characters, like the the uh, the three heroes, and there you go. You have a great movie. Right? And we're on the subject of that. Like, I don't believe that in this situation of them all, Fury had no Avengers to call. Yeah, he like so if he would have been like, "Yo, Carol, we and Talos, me and Talos need your help. The Scrolls are doing bad shit. You've helped us deal with the Scrolls before. Do you mind coming and sorting this out?" Like she would have done this to Gravik, and they would have, like, yeah, it was there is so no stupid. reason that Fury needed to be on his own for this. Like, like they, he's they, just a man. Draw a line in there to be like. Oh, he needs to do it on his own to sort of like prove himself or whatever. whatever. But imagine his, if he had like Wong. His mess. His mess. Oh, fuck that. Like imagine yeah, if true. he just got Wong and Wong does a portal and puts like Gravik in a prison cell. Like they would have won. Exactly. Like, uh, speaking of some of the other characters, Olivia Coleman was great. She's always great. I loved her. She's uh, one of the only characters who really gets justice in this show. I agree. Uh, Don Shido was awful. Not because he was awful as an actor, just. His character was awful, sorry. Don't you know it was always great, but like his character no, was so stupid in this show. Rody slash fake Rody definitely annoyed me. Yeah, like, whatever. They man. said like he's been that way for a while. And if he's been that way since before Endgame or before uh Infinity War, that's retarded. <laughs> that makes no sense. 
because he said he like the scene of him saying goodbye to Tony is like incredible. And if you no, I that, think this is. I think they imply that this is only secret invasion roadie that's being retconned because he no, mentioned that, was, that no, a lot of officials had been kidnapped. No, but there was um, something that came out that like, oh, maybe he's been that way for a while that they put out there. They haven't confirmed anything if it is post secret invasion, if not. But like, yeah, if if it is like him, fuck you. I would have absolutely hated if it's like, it it wouldn't make sense too because they didn't MRI on him in Civil War. And also, like, um, no, but I do hope, like, after Civil War. Yeah, so I, I do hope it's still him in Endgame. Like, if it's just him in Falcon and Winter Soldier, that's one scene, so whatever. But, um, but like, also Martin Freeman in uh, Everett Ross, I do hope it's really him in, um, in uh, Black, Black Panther, Panther movies. Because yeah. that would be hilarious if he was just like, he got freed from prison. Uh, at the end of Wakanda Forever, and then right away he gets kidnapped by a scroll. He's like, "I'm free," and then the scrolls take him. Like that's very like Everett Ross, e- yeah. Everett Ross esque. Um, so I hope it's not retconning the other projects. Yeah, uh, but again, that scroll review was so stupid. Everyone and their mom knew that Do- that Don Cheadle was bringing a scroll in the show, uh, like <laughs> like months ago. Um, and yeah, it was. It didn't change anything. I teased you when you were not watching because you only binged it at the end. I teased you that was that was like a big reveal that a character was a scroll for a while. Yeah, you teased me that there was a big spoiler. And I was like, nobody cares. I don't care, and I don't think anyone else cares. And do you care? <laughs> like, first of all, I didn't get any spoilers for it, but when it happened, I was like, okay, whatever. Like, exactly. I don't. <laughs> that's supposed to be like a huge thing. Think about it. It's like an Avenger. That's a scroll. That's like one of the biggest things in the comics. It was supposed to be because even in Endgame, people were like, "Was Hawkeye a scroll?" Like, exactly. And like, yeah, it was just so meh. For the uh, sake okay. of this show not being great, I really hope they didn't wreck on any of it. Yeah. Uh, okay. So. Yeah. This was a stupid show. It was a waste of my time, in my opinion. I gave, I gave it, I give it a five. Probably less. I agree. Five out of ten yeah. as well. Maybe like four and a half, even. Probably what? the meatiest show of the year so far. Film fanatics. From the silver screen to your earphones, with Alan Azulay and Gal Balaban. University, the voice of Reichman University.